It's great having you here. And would you also uh, let the worship team, the tech team, know how much that you appreciate them? They do a great, great job each and every week. Well, welcome back for what is uh, part three and the final message uh, in this series. And I'm really, really excited uh, about today. And I'm glad that you're here for this final installment in this series. I've uh, been working really hard all week long on this talk. Now, let me just say this. If you would uh, pray for me, I'm a little bit tired. I was out of town last night. I was. I was out of town. Just. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about that because I want everybody to be open and receptive to the message. Everybody. Everybody. All right, guys, you can go ahead and put that down before you get me in big trouble. All right. So just saying, you know, this series would really be somewhat incomplete if we just moved on without giving uh, this morning's uh, topic some warranted attention. So today I want to talk to you about attitude. And some of you are saying, well, you know what? Uh, there are some people here that need to hear that, you know. Some people that need to hear that. I want to talk about our attitude because how many of you know that our attitudes are actually formed in our head? That's what we've been talking about this series. In this series, it's all in your head. Our attitudes are formed in our mind. And specifically, I want to talk to us for the next few moments really about having an attitude of gratitude. You know, you may not have that yet. And uh, you may just say, well, you know, I'm not a really thankful person. You know, if you were true to yourself, if you were honest, if you had self-awareness, said, you know what, I'm not really grateful. Um, and then you'd say, well, how can I, how can I get that? Or, or if you are like that, then number one, thank God for it. But then consider how do you keep that? Because just because you have it now, it's not a guarantee that you're forever going to have it. And I want to get started today uh, with a story. You know that I like stories. You like stories. Two friends. Uh, bumped into one another on the street one day. They hadn't seen each other for quite some time. And one of them looked at the other, and uh, his friend uh, was almost on the verge of tears. And so he asked him, well, what has the world done that has caused you to become uh, so sad? And the sad fellow said this, well, I'll tell you what's wrong. He said, three weeks ago, an uncle of mine died and left me $40,000. Well, that's a lot of money, his friend said. But you see, two weeks ago, a cousin that I never even knew died and left me $85,000 free and clear. And he's like, okay, what's going on? Sounds like you've been blessed, his friend said. You don't understand, he interrupted. Last week, my great aunt passed away. I inherited nearly a quarter of a million dollars. Now his friend was really confused. Then why do you look so sad? He said, this week, nothing, nothing, <laughs> not a thing. This cat lacked gratitude, didn't he? And I want to preface what I'm about to uh, say that is to come in this talk by telling you, and, and I want to be clear on this, that there is absolutely wrong, nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with having nice things. You've got nice things. I've got a lot of nice things as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I pray, I sincerely pray that God would bless you in ways that you never thought 
possible. You may be here today and say, you know what? This job I got, is, it's okay. I'm grateful for it. But you know what? The reality is it would be so much better for my family if I could have a different job, a better job. I pray that God would give you that. If you just say, and it's again, not out of a greedy spirit, it's just like, you know what? It would be nice if my income was a little bit higher and it wasn't all about you and you wanted, again, take care of your family. You know what? I pray that God would bless you with higher income. If you're at a stage in your life where you said, this car, I don't think is going to make it any further. The last car I had before this car, which is now six years old, I put 275,000 miles on it, loved every bit of it, didn't want to get rid of it until finally uh, our mechanic said, you know what? Now is the time because the repair that we're going to have to make is going to be more expensive than the value on your car. And so, so, all right, time to get rid of that. And so you may say, well, hey, savings, I would like to, you know, start getting some of this debt out of the way and start building this little savings, or you've been working on your retirement, you'd like to see that increase because you say, hey, out there one day, I'm going to need to sort of collect on that. I pray, I sincerely pray that God would bless you in ways that you never dreamed possible. So I want to be clear on this. God does not mind you and I having nice things as long, as long, as long as we keep in mind that real happiness is not found in the accumulation of things. The most important things in life are not things. Here's another thing. God is not disturbed by you having things. God is not disturbed by you having stuff as long as the things or the stuff does not have you. Here's another thought. You've got to really keep this in mind. And it is this, that you have value, that your life has value, and it is not at all connected to your valuables. Even if you didn't have what you have, your life still has enormous value. If you had nothing, your life has enormous value. Anybody here agree with that? There's that part of you that matters most to God. Listen, that part of you that matters most to God is not your dole, but your soul. And some of you are like, dole? Well, I'm just telling, I just needed a word that rhymes, all right? So I just needed a, but it's a real word. Some of you are thinking dole, pineapple, pineapple. No, dole means allotment of money. It's not your dole, it's your soul that matters most to God. In fact, I want you to take a look at what Jesus says. It's right up here on the screen. In Mark 8, 36, this is what Jesus said. What good is it for a man? Let's read this together. Everybody read it with me. What good is it for a man? The last part to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul. Here's another urgent statement from Jesus that parallels with this. This is Luke chapter 12 in verse 15. Then he said to them, let's read this too. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, guys, leave that up for just a moment. Now, you know that, right? And I know that, that our life does not consist based on the abundance of our possessions. We all know this. We know this to be true. What Jesus says here is absolutely true. Then why, and this is for all of us, then why do we so often live our lives as though it really is about things, that our life really does consist of possessions and the real true value and meaning of my life is wrapped around my stuff? And we know better than that, but sometimes we don't live out 
what we know to be truth. And where is that battle fought? You think about it. Where is that battle fought? It is fought in our mind. It is, it is all in our head. How many of you would agree with me at that? Just wave at me like this. It's all in our head. Now, in this series, and I'm not going to recap here because I'm going to stay very focused on what we're going to talk about in the next few moments. But in this series, one of the things that we've said in the previous two Sundays is that one of the things, the evil one, this is what Jesus said, the evil one is known by is the fact that the evil one is a liar. How many of you remember that? We've talked about that. He is a liar. In fact, Jesus said everything he says is a lie. Jesus said when he speaks, he speaks out of his own nature. And Jesus said, and a lot of you can finish this statement with me, Jesus said that the devil is not only a liar, he is the father of lies. And so we've looked at that in the last couple of weeks, we've referenced it, but he is not just a liar. How many of you know that the devil is also a thief? He is a thief. A thief is always looking to take something that does not belong to them. Now, let me ask you a question. It may conjure up a, uh, a negative thought and painful thought and does for me because I've had this occur to me. How many of you has, have ever had somebody take something from you that belonged to you? They had no rights to it, but they stole it. They were a thief. Now, this is what Jesus says in John 10, 10. This is a part of verse 10. You're doing real good, uh, by the way, but help me read this next one as well. Let's all read it together, full voice now, like you have energy, like you need to wake up because you stayed up too late too. All right, so John 10, 10, everybody, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. And one of the big time things that the devil wants to rob you of, you got to listen to this. This is so important. It's what we're going to talk about for the next couple of moments. One of the things that he wants to steal from you, among many other things, by the way, is he wants to rob you of your contentment. You okay with that? Let me take a few moments now to share with you a couple of the tactical schemes that the devil uses to hijack your, commit, your contentment. Scheme number one, if you're writing uh, some notes down somewhere, if you're writing down some of the verses, let me give you a couple of schemes that he will use. Scheme number one is this. He uses, because he wants to steal many things, but he wants to steal away your contentment. So the evil one is a master with this first scheme. It is, let's call it the trap of comparing. The trap of comparing. And you may be thinking, well, Pastor Jeff, what are you talking about? The trap of comparing. It, it goes a little bit like this. It's like this. This is when you or I look at what other people have and we become discontent because of what we do not have. I look at my house and I'm okay with my house. I'm okay with my car and my kids and vacations and job. I look at these things and these things are all good until I start looking at what you have. And again, we compare, and it's one of the tactical schemes that the evil one uses to steal away our contentment. Now, I was thinking about this while I was working on this, this talk. And most of you know, because I mentioned it before, uh, you know, my parents were, 
were uh, divorced when I was 15 years of age. Both of them later remarried. Most of you know by now that in the last couple of years, my, my mom and dad has passed away, and I miss them still to this day a whole lot. Well, when mom remarried, uh, she remarried a, a, a guy, my stepdad now for many, many, many years. Uh, my stepdad in the Atlanta area, because we had moved back to Atlanta, and he had been a long-term employee of Delta Airlines. And so still to this day, um, you know, us, us kids, uh, we still have some flight privileges. It's not that we fly completely free, but it's at a greatly reduced rate. And we're, we're grateful uh, for that. We're grateful for that. But then I was working on this talk and thinking about how, how, how easy it is to lose gratitude. So I've got that. Uh, you know, deeply discounted rate. And that comes in really, really handy when you have three grandkids up in Illinois that they need to see their papa often. They really do. Even when they don't know that they do, they really, really do. And so that just works out really, really nice. And so I was thinking about that though, how on what is a great, you know, a great blessing, you can take that for granted. And uh, because the reality is, as good as that sounds, um, as good as that sounds, it, it simply means this. You fly at a deeply reduced rate. And those of you that have family members or if you're an airline employee, you know the drill. Uh, you're flying standby. And simply that means if there's a seat, you fly. If there's not a seat, you sit in the airport and wait. And I've had my fair share. I've waited in the Tampa International Airport flight after flight after flight. I can remember uh, one time I was flying back from seeing the grandkids. And uh, it was a Saturday. And I knew I needed to be here Sunday morning, obviously. And, and so uh, I couldn't get out of Atlanta. I could not get a on a flight every Flight was filled to capacity, uh, trying to go from t uh, Atlanta to Tampa. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm, now I'm starting to get desperate because Saturday night, it's getting late Saturday night. It's too late really now to rent a car, and, you know, unless I want to drive straight here. And so I'm like, I've got to do something. So I checked Sarasota, I checked Orlando, I checked, you know, every Jacksonville, finally able to get on a flight to... Um, flight to uh, Daytona Beach, had my family drive over to Daytona Beach and back, got in at some ridiculous hour. And how many of you know, I wasn't necessarily feeling really grateful at that point in time. <laughs> I should have been, but I wasn't. And so I've learned, hey, uh, but human nature is such, I need to be thankful because you can go from no seat to coach seat. All right. And you get in coach seat and you're feeling blessed, like coach seat. But this is human nature. And I'm just being on it. Wave at me if it's okay, if I'm a little bit honest with you. All right. Is that okay? How many of you are not going to judge me too harshly? You won't do that. All right. If you do, I've got a message I'll work on in preparation for a future way. So don't judge me too hard. All right. So it, there's just something about human nature when you don't, when you have like no seat, but then you get coach seat and then you settle in coach seat. I'm just being honest that you really want the del Delta, what they call now the Delta comfort seat. It's like, wow, I'm, I'm, I really, you know, I'm such a big guy anyhow. And uh, to be in this small, I'd really like to be in that Delta comfort seat. And that's how human nature is. How many of you get that? And then how many of you know what our attitude is when I get in the Delta comfort seat? Look at those people in first class. That's so wrong. That's so wrong. And I can remember my baby sister, when mom remarried uh, later, my stepdad, and mom, they have uh, 
my half-sister Jennifer. She's wonderful. She lives in Nashville. And when she was about four or five, back in those days, you could just, you could just get on flights all the time. You never really got in that terminal bumped, you know, to you couldn't get on. And most of the time, honestly, in those days, this has been years and years ago, uh, you could get on first class pretty easily. There's generally a seat, but now upgrades and things like that points. It's increasingly. And mom tells one of the most, for her, one of the most embarrassing stories when they were actually flying from Atlanta um, to come to Florida, it was while I was a Southeastern student, I believe, and uh, flying down, and Jennifer's only about four or five, and so they get on the flight, but they don't get on first class. And so mom's holding Jennifer's hand, walking through the airport, and once they pass through first class, now they're back in coach, and Jennifer starts crying, and she's like, why do we have to sit back here? We never sit back here. And how many of you know everybody's thinking, what a first class brat that is? That's a brat, first class. Well, that's how we are. And if we compare long enough, the devil has another trap for us. How many of you know this is scheme number two? We become entangled because we covet, we envy, we crave, we long for what others have. Now we not only compare what we do not have to what other people have, now we covet it, we crave it for ourselves. And it generally plays out like this. Aren't you glad that we can be real practical when we're together? It plays out like this. My house that I love so much, I love it, I love it, I love it. But then when I step into a new home with the latest decor, now it's not my house I love. Now it's my old dated house. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? How about this one? You ever done anything like this? You look at uh, the accomplishments in your life. That, that God has caused you and allowed you to experience, and that's all well and good until you focus on somebody that has greater success than you have. How about this? You look at your annual salary, you start feeling good about that until somebody else has what you call their ridiculous income. And at one point in time, think about it, the income that you make right now, you consider that ridiculous when you were below that. So now it's the ridiculous. How about this one? You look at another family, and they have perfect kids, or you think they have perfect kids. How many of you know they don't have perfect kids? They just appear to be perfect kids, or the parents are lying about these so-called perfect kids. And you look at your family, and you say, well, they got a perfect kids and spouse and parents and all of that, and, and you start, you know, comparing and coveting. And, and then how about this one? Your beater car with 250,000 miles on it. You feel okay without about it until a friend drives up in their brand-new luxury automobile. How about this one? while we're talking. How about this one? Somebody you know, and you're comparing. They vacation on a Caribbean island, and you spend the weekend at the Desert Inn Motel in Yeehaw Junction. You just think about that. Think about it. And some of you are saying, there's no Desert Inn Motel in Yeehaw Junction. Google it. There is. Paul, the church leader in the New Testament, has some very helpful and important words for us in Philippians chapter 4. These may be the most important words we look at all morning long. And this is for all of us, and all of us need this. I'll just read this one. He said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. How many of you know that is a great secret to be content in any and every situation? And then he expands. He says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says this, this part I want you to read with me because this is for all of us. And this is the secret. This is the secret to being content. Read it with me. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Because whatever our circumstances are, we can do anything, everything. You know, God gives us the power. I can do anything through him who gives me the strength. And that is the secret to contentment. And I look back over my life, you know, just being personal with you. And I can look and say, you know what? I don't think God's blessed me with things and God's been good to me. And I think, uh, to be quite honest with me, uh, with you, it's not because I'm smart or clever or any of that. I think I've been faithful to God. I've tried to be generous, uh, you know, my whole life. I mentioned to you earlier, I started tithing when I was 16. And, and um, you know, God's been really, really good to me. But I look back and I said, you know, whether... And certainly not like Paul, but I look back and say, well, you know, I, I've tried to do that, whether I had a little or a lot, to be content. And then I started thinking, again, while I was working on this talk, I remember preparing to, uh, to come down here. I was living in Atlanta where I was born and raised, but preparing to come down to uh, Southeastern. We already, uh, we already had a son at that point. We had uh, Brent, and Brent is about a year old. And some of you guys, you're, you're going to get this. This is going to make sense to you. I had, uh, I had the car that I loved. Before I, you know, we left, come down here, you know, three of us packed up, moved, moved down here. I had a 1969 Pontiac Firebird. <sighs> come on. Man, oh, man. By the way, my birthday's coming up December 3rd. I had to sell that car. So just, not really. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, if you have a Pontiac Firebird 1969, oh, man. How many of you guys, you're with me, 1960, how many of you guys, if you had a 1969 Pontiac Firebird, you wish that you still had it today? Wave at me, okay? Is that just me or is that you? I wish I had it today. But I had to sell it to come to school, and instead of driving my 1969 Pontiac Firebird for the longest time, I drove a Ford LTD. <laughs> I had to switch cars. Anybody drive a Ford LTD at one point, huh? How many of you remember? And this one, I, you know, it was, it was like, it was double XL. That's all I could think because this car was so long thinking, how many of you like football, using a football analogy, if I pulled this car onto a football field, the back bumper was on the goal line, the front bumper was on the 50-yard line. <laughs> you could put 38 people in this Ford LTD. <laughs> but you know what? I love that 1969 Pontiac Firebird, but it didn't bother me at all to drive that Ford LTD because I was doing what God wanted me to do. I'd learned the secret of being content. Hey, I later upgraded, by the way. I don't want you to feel bad about that because I later upgraded to still a very, very old Crown Victoria. <laughs> it wasn't nearly as long. It only reached the 40-yard line. Drew was real small. I can remember driving around town and my kids, you know, it was fine with me, but my kids, you know, and, and I can remember driving around one day. Drew was very, very small. 
He's, he's the wise guy, the smart aleck. He's just in. So he's in the, he's in the passenger seat, and I'm, I'm driving around town, and I don't know. I'm not a mechanic, but uh, there was something where there was trash in the fuel line or whatever. But this car, you'd get going. I kid you not. You'd get going, and you'd be driving normal, and, and it would be like... <laughs> And it would hesitate. You'd do, it would just, you'd be driving. The, and so it's doing this one day. I'm taking Drew to school. And he looked at me and he was so serious. He said, Dad, could you pull into Walmart? And I'm like, why? He said, I just want to go in and buy one of those masks and pull it all over my face. You know, I just, it's so embarrassing. All the way to school. But I was content. I really was. It didn't bother me. I loved it. In fact, I, because it embarrassed him, I never wanted to get it fixed. <laughs> and then so we sold that 1969 Pontiac Firebird, and I'm all right with that, driving this XXL Ford LTD. And we had a house that we didn't own it, but we felt like we owned it. We took good care of it. Three-bedroom, two-bath suburbs. We loved it. Moved down here to go to college, and your life changes and so we go from that big yard, big yard, into uh, three of us now, a one-bedroom, one-bath duplex. And, boy, we had, oh, man, we, Brent's, I kid you not, Brent's crib was in the living room, which explains why he loves TV so much to this day. <laughs> but you know what? That didn't bother me. It really didn't. I didn't sit around and moan and bemoan the fact that, hey, I don't have my firewood anymore, and hey, we don't live, and we're tight quarters, and, you know, you can, uh, you know, reach out and touch all four walls, you felt like, because we'd learned the value of contentment. Anybody with me this morning? Contentment is a mindset. It's an attitude, and it starts where? In your head. And a really smart guy speaks to this in Ecclesiastes 6, 9. And this is what he said. Look at it on the screen. He said, it is better to be satisfied. It is better to be content with what you have than to be always wanting something else. Do you ever use your mind to think about this? Do you ever ask yourself, I do this all the time. When is enough enough? You ever wonder that? When is enough enough? I mean, why you know, is it that God wants to bless me increasingly, exponentially, and now it's not about me? You with me on this? What would it really take for me to become satisfied? What would it take for you and I to become content? So let me mention at this point a great way, all right, because all of us struggle with this. All of us struggle with this. You do, I do from time to time. So how is a great way to mentally shift from discontentment to contentment? Let me put it this way. What is the antidote to being discontent? And here it is, and I've already hinted at it. It is this. It is gratitude. It is gratitude. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that Thanksgiving is less than four weeks away? It is. I love this story. How many of you like the Peanuts, Snoopy, Charlie Brown, all of them? I love this story. Snoopy was on his doghouse one Thanksgiving, grumbling in his spirit about being stuck with dog food while all the humans got to be inside with turkey and gravy and cranberries and pump pumpkin pie. Of course, it could have been worse, he finally reflected. I could have been born a turkey. 
I want you to take a moment and look at your neighbor right now and say, at least you're not a turkey. You go ahead and just say to him right now, look at him and just say, at least you may be messed up, but at least you're not a turkey. Just tell him this is your chance. All right. You may never have this chance. At least you're not a turkey unless they are a turkey. Then go ahead and tell them they are a turkey. All right. Two verses, Proverbs. Look at these verses. Amazing verses. This is for all of us. Every day is a terrible day for a miserable person. Did you know that was in the Bible? I'm not making that up. That's true. That's in the Bible. Every day is a terrible day for a miserable person, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. Better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil. It's a secret to being content. And do you see the enormous difference here? If you are, and I hope you're not, or if you're not, or you do become a miserable, discontented person, which I hope you won't, but if you were, if you were, every day would feel like a terrible day. Why? It's attitude, and it's all in your head. It's a mindset. Yet if you're a grateful person, most every day, this is what the Bible is saying. I'm paraphrasing slightly, but if you're a grateful person, most every day is like a party. You'll find something to be thankful for. How many of you know that's true? If you're a grateful person, you'll find something to be thankful for. You'll say, you know what? This job is not the job I want to have for the rest of my life, but I'm thankful for this job. I'm grateful for this job. And you find something about that, that job that you're grateful about. And it may be hard to find it, but you find it. And you may say, well, you know what? Uh, I'm grateful for my health. My health is not what it used to be, but it's better than what it could be. And yeah, I have some challenges here, but I'm grateful that for the most part, I'm, I'm healthy. And you won't appreciate that unless you lose your health. Hey, and I'm, I'm grateful for my, my family. I may not have a perfect family and they may not have a perfect person in the family, speaking of us, but you know what? I found things to be grateful about my family. I'm thankful to have an appetite. And that may sounds silly, but how many of you know that people would love to have an appetite to eat food, but they, they don't have an appetite and just eating becomes a challenge. And so I'm thankful for an appetite. I'm thankful for food. I'm thankful for air conditioning this morning. I'm thankful for heat. How many of you are thankful for motorized transportation? I didn't see a single one of you riding a donkey to church when I pulled up this morning. I'm thankful for my income. It's not what it ought to be, but I'm thankful for my income. I pray that God would increase it. But what it is now, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I have eyes that I can see because that's not always a given for everybody. I'm, I'm thankful that I have ears that I can hear because not everybody can hear. And I'm thankful for my pastor because he could be saying a lot about that game yesterday, but he's not because he's smarter than that. <laughs> a couple of statements here from a book I read a few years ago. A rich soul experiences life differently. It experiences a sense of gratitude for what it has received rather than resentment for what it hasn't gotten. Without gratitude, this writer says, our lives degenerate into envy, dissatisfaction, and complaints, taking what we have for granted and always wanting more. I close with a story. 
story. Most all of you know it if you've ever been around church a whole lot. If you're new to church and uh, you're not a Christian yet, maybe you're a spiritual seeker and you're just getting connected to church. Maybe you've not read it yet, and if you haven't, I I hope you will. It's a fascinating story in Luke chapter 17 where Jesus walks into a particular village somewhat remote, and immediately he is confronted. I don't mean that in a negative sort of violent sense, but he's confronted. He comes in contact with 10 people, all of them, they had this dreadful disease. In fact, it was the most dreadful disease at that time. They have leprosy, all 10 of them. And they're not only sick, they're not only incurable, they're also outcasts. Because when you have leprosy, any of you that know anything about what that was like, you've ever studied about it, read about it in history, you know, basically you were set outside of your community. You couldn't have contact. You lost your job because nobody wanted to be around you. You lost your family because they couldn't be around you because you were contagious. You, nobody would ever hug you. Nobody would ever pat you on the back. Nobody would ever shake your hand. That, w- that was over. So anytime you ever read in the Bible where Jesus reaches out and he touches a leper, it's like a phenomenon thing that he does. And what I love about this case is Jesus, listen, he heals all 10 of them. All 10. All 10. Just heals all 10 of them of leprosy. But only one of them takes the time and makes the effort to say things. Jesus brings up a really valid question question that maybe he would ask you and me in other areas of our lives. He says, where are the other nine? Where are they at? Didn't I heal 10 and just one? Where are the other nine? And so I ask you as we close today, will you be the one that is grateful? Pastor Jeff, everything is not, you know, I've got this going on in my life. I I understand it. And I'm so sorry. And I know we all have problems. Some have big problems. Some have small problems, medium-sized problems. But even in the difficulties, if you would find those things to be grateful for, if you would just say, I'll be the one. Are you content? Are you? And if you're not, will you learn what Paul said, the secret of being content? That whether, you know, he said, I have plenty or I have little, I've learned the value. Are you content? Are you satisfied? Are you grateful? If not, can I just remind you as we close, it's all in your mind. It's an attitude. It's a mindset. You may say, well, I'm just not a grateful person. All right, get it. I got it, got it, got it, got it. But you can't become one. How do I know this? Look at this verse. We looked at it last week. Let's read it together and then I'm going to close. Everybody now. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Would you stand with me? Everybody, let's stand. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise as we stand? Can we do it? God, you've been so good to us. We bless your name. Right there where you're at, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, if you're a person that you said, hey, I've sat here and I've listened to this today and I need God to change me. Maybe that's your prayer right now. God, change me. Just let him know that. Just whisper that to God even now. God, change me. 
God, would you transform me? Would you renew my mind? I don't want to be a discontented person. I don't want to be a miserable person. I want to be grateful. I want to be content, whether I have little or whether I have a lot or anything in between or whatever's going on in my life. I'm going to find something to be grateful for. If that's you, you need that prayer. As I've needed that prayer so many times in my own life, would you just lift up your hand and let me pray for you right there where you're standing. God, I don't want to be miserable. I don't want to be discontented. I want to be happy. I want to be cheerful. I want to be a contented person. Father, you see every hand right here, right now, and I just pray that you would encourage your people. I pray that you would change us. I pray for all of us that you would transform us. If we're not thinking the way that we need to think, that we would be renewed in the spirit of our mind and not conform, mentally speaking, to the pattern of this world. Help us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I love you, everybody. Have an awesome week. See you right back here next Sunday.